0: you want to turn with me uh, in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first, uh, I don't know, few verses this morning. Uh, We'll see where God uh, leads. Uh, But let's uh, turn with me uh, to Philippians chapter 1. If we'll stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, We're going to start with verse 1 today. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints of Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always at every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has been a good work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Just it is right for me to thank this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more, and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You may be seated this morning. So uh, just to give you a little background, you'll see that Paul starts out here by saying that it's Paul and Timothy. Uh, Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. In the faith, the son in the faith, Uh, Paul took Timothy under his wing to mentor him, to teach him, uh, to, uh, you know, help him to grow and learn, uh, to grow in his faith and to be a leader uh, and to lead. Uh, And uh, he says there that he and Timothy, who were bondservants of Jesus Christ, that word bondservant um, in the way that Paul is using it is someone who willingly submits themselves and to somebody else's service. So this is Paul saying that I am willingly giving myself to Jesus Christ. He is, he's saying that uh, he has uh, submitted himself to Christ as Lord. That he belongs to Christ. That he is a servant of Christ. And then he continues with a his greeting that he does so often in most of his letters. Where he just says hey to all the saints. Meaning all the Christians. Uh, who are in Philippi, uh, and then he addresses the leaders, the bishops, and the deacons. So he's a this letter is to everyone, all the saints and the leaders and, as well. And then he, of course, bids them grace uh, to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Uh, Paul, uh, you could read about Paul's first experience in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, Paul goes to Philippi where he preaches the gospel. Very quickly, uh, the folks uh, turned against him. They had him beaten. They had him in prison, uh, right, with his counterpart, uh, his partner Silas, who was ministering his fellow evangelist. Uh, and they were placed into prison, right into the uh, shackles and in the, uh, uh, in the middle of the prison where they couldn't get away, right, uh, and shackled. So Paul's uh, experience in Philippi was not a pleasant experience. Uh, he uh, was beaten and imprisoned uh, and left there uh, to receive judgment. And so it was not a very positive experience course those of you who have been in church any length of time know what happened that Paul and Silas were in that gel cell and their stocks and their chains uh, having been beaten with a rod a cane is what the Bible says uh, I don't know about you but I remember getting beat with a switch from a tree and it hurt like crazy but this was from a cane this would be like getting beat almost by a baseball bat except the cane was developed to whip in such a way that it would leave a mark and it would uh, strip skin, right? So you weren't just getting beaten and having that internal damage and bruising, but it was also tearing your skin up. So it was not a pleasant experience. And then after being beaten like that, they were thrown into jail, put into shackles, which cut into your wrists and your hands. They weren't treated, right? They were just thrown into a dirty cell. But the Bible says that they were in there, and Paul and Silas, instead of feeling sorry for themselves, they started singing, yeah. Yeah. and they began to sing hymns to the Lord, and glorifying God, and uh, I can only imagine what I, you know, that they were uh, thanking God uh, uh, for the honor of, uh, uh, of suffering for his name. We know that. Earlier in the book of Acts, Peter and John, when they were beaten, they said, thank you, Lord, that you count us worthy to suffer for you, right? You know, Paul and Silas, they weren't, uh, they weren't feeling sorry for themselves. They weren't mad. They weren't resentful. They weren't even angry with the people that beat them. They weren't angry with the jailer who was watching over them. They just uh, were worshiping God. And the Bible says that all of a sudden, the jail cell shook. And uh, the chains not only fell off of them, but it fell off of everybody in the jail cell. uh, And the guard awoke, thinking everyone had escaped. But they went nowhere. And Paul said to the guard, because the guard was about to take his own life, because he would have been killed for falling asleep on duty and letting them escape. And Paul said, stop, don't do that. Uh, We're still here. Paul preached, and all of a sudden, people start getting saved. So the jailer gets saved, his family gets saved, they all get baptized. All of a sudden, people start believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. And God sparked from that a church. And so when you think about Paul as he's writing this letter, he's saying, I'm remembering you. He's remembering that church what was suffered to bring life to that church, to birth that church. He's remembering the jailer's face. He's remembering the face of each of his children and his family that was saved. He's remembering the faces and the names of all those who called upon Christ as Lord and Savior. He's remembering them. He bled for them. He hurt for them. He was prisoned for them. He suffered. them and he loved them very very much and so he was remembering them and he's not only remembering them as they were born again and growing and being put together as a church but it says that he prayed for them he was interceding on their behalf Paul started a lot of churches he had a lot of spiritual children and he prayed for all of them he loved the church in Philippi as much as he loved the church of Corinth, the church of Thessalonica, right? The church at all of these Ephesus, all of these places that the church had spread to, even if he wasn't the one responsible for starting it, like the Roman church. He prayed for them. He prayed for the saints everywhere because his heart was burdened. Paul, as much as he was an evangelist, and he was an evangelist, he was had a heart of a pastor. He cared for the people. And so he prayed for this Philippian church. He interceded on their behalf, and he did so joyfully. Mm-hmm. He didn't resent it. It wasn't a burden to him, right? He did so joyfully. With expectation, right? He rejoiced when he interceded on their behalf, right? He didn't begrudgingly call out that church. He enjoyed it. He rejoiced at it. He uh, 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 just uh, uh, loved, relished the opportunity to intercede for them and pray for them. Oh, that you and I would replicate that feeling and that behavior when it came for praying for our other brothers, sisters, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That it would not be a burden, that it would not be a task on our checklist, but that we would joy, that we'd rejoice when we called out their name. We called out our families, we called out our friends, we called out our neighbors even rejoice when we call out the leadership of our country when we like and don't like what they're doing, right? Rejoice that we have the opportunity to intercede on their behalf, knowing that our God is in control and that he can work miracles in their lives. He rejoiced for the opportunity. He did not do it begrudgingly and that you and I would do the same. I know that there are times when we are, are hurting and that we're facing circumstances and that we, uh, you know, have to just work our way to make ourselves pray, to make ourselves pray for others, right? But whenever you feel that way, just look at Paul. When Paul wrote uh, to the Philippian church, he was in prison. And uh, many of the letters he wrote were actually why he was in prison. So even in prison, he was still rejoicing for the opportunity to pray for others. I don't know about you, but I like to pray for myself. Right, I like to pray about my pains, my hurts, my suffering. Woe is me. God, don't you see what I'm facing? God, don't you know what I'm going through? Father, haven't you seen what I'm doing? What, How I'm hurting, blah, 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 blah. I certainly aren't thinking about somebody else's pain and hurt. Right, when you're in the midst of pain and suffering, you like to pray about yourself. Our prayers become very selfish and self-centered. You guys can look at me and say, oh, no, not me. Yes, you're guilty. We're all guilty. I'm guilty. Right? But we need to follow Paul's example that even in that pain and suffering, it's okay to pray for yourself. But we should not begrudgingly or forget to pray for the needs of others. Right? And we should do so with gladness in our hearts and joy in our spirits that we can intercede on their behalf. Because remember, listen, you're not praying to a God who doesn't hear. You're not praying to a God that doesn't listen. You're not praying to a God who's not powerful or cannot act, right? That's impotent. You're praying to a God who can move and make change. So rejoice when you pray for others, knowing that God can work a miracle. How many times, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going this direction, but how many times do you and I pray, and I am most certainly guilty, and not actually expect God to hear or do anything or listen to our prayers? Come on now, we pray without expectation, we're just going through the motions, but every time you and I pray, we should pray with expectation, because we're praying to an all a powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, eternal God who can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask for thanks so we should rejoice that we can pray for others. Amen. Knowing that our God can move and protect and sustain those who we are praying, interceding for. Amen. Amen. Intercede For others, that was a direction that I did not intend to take, but we should intercede for our brothers and sisters in Christ. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I rejoice for you. I pray for you. I'm so excited that you have been a part of what God is doing in the Philippian church and the city From the beginning, from that first night when I was in prison with Silas, had God moved, had the jailer got saved, and his family got saved. From that night until now, you have been in fellowship with me. What does that mean? It means that that church continued to thrive and grow even after Paul left because the people were still working, evangelizing, and serving God. How How many churches would die today if the pastor left? How many people would give up and walk away and go somewhere else where they could hide if the pastor stopped working, if the pastor fell, if the pastor quit leading? We should not be that way. We're the church, and we must act like the church, and we must serve and evangelize despite what we see with our eyes and how we feel, right? We need to honor God and serve him with our voice and our lives to minister to a lost and a dying world. Sheep breed sheep. If we are not replicating uh, ourselves with other other Christians, there's a problem. And I feel guilt about this myself. The reason the church in Philippi continued to grow was not because of Paul, but it was because the people left behind kept working. The jailer, uh, he kept telling people about Jesus. His family, uh, they kept telling people about Jesus. The people they reached in the community, uh, they kept telling people about Jesus. So that church grew and grew and grew because they were working in spite of Paul's absence. Other leaders took over. Pastors took over. Deacons took over. Leadership came in and they worked and they served God and the church thrived in spite of persecution and hurt and suffering. They thrived Because the people kept working, right? Listen, the leadership should not have to plan every ministry that goes forth from a church, right? Uh, If you're saying, well, I'm waiting for the pastor to do something, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. If I'm saying, well, I'm waiting for this leader to do something, then I'm wrong, right? We should be worshiping or, or we should be working worshiping too but we should be working serving god whether nobody else is or not yes. Amen. 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 Yes. right us, jesus. we should be honoring him being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of jesus christ love this scripture it means that when It means that God is going to continue to perfect us as Christians when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior. He's going to make sure that you become who you are supposed to become in Christ. Ultimately, of course, being fulfilled when we get to heaven and glory, where we have a glorified body, right? Ultimately then, but even here on this earth, listen, let me tell you something. Nobody, no principality, no person, no nothing can separate us from God, take us out of God's hand, right? He will finish the work that He started, okay. right? He has a hold of us. He will complete the work. So no matter what the devil whispers in your ear, no matter what he tells you, he says you're not good enough. When you make a mistake, he says you've done too much. God will never forgive you. When he's telling you you're not uh, talented enough, you're not smart enough, you can never be forgiven. Remember that as a lie from the pits of hell that you and I, uh, when God has started the work of salvation in us, he will perfect it. Yeah, man. The enemy cannot steal it from us. He cannot take it from us. He cannot separate us from the love of God. He can't. Don't let him lie to you. Don't let him uh, convince you that you uh, aren't good enough, that you can't be forgiven, that you might as well throw in the towel uh, because you'll never be who God wants you to be. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell because the promise here in Philippians is that uh, he God who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to make sure that you're going to hear the trumpet sound, you're going to be carried away, and you're going to be in heaven. You're gonna, he's going to make sure that you that work is completed. That one day you're going to find yourself in His presence, walking with Him, talking with Him in glory. Verse 7, just it is right for me to thank this of you all because I have you in my heart and as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for all are partakers with me of grace. So let me say this. First of all, he says, just it is right for me to thank this of all you because I have you in my heart. Uh, The Greek word, the heart is the seed of the emotions, right? So I say, I love you with all of my heart, Right. It is the, was the seat of the emotion. So Paul, is, when Paul is saying, "I have you in my heart," he's saying you are as close to me, you are as important to me as you ever were. And he's using that phrase to say so that they, they take him seriously. They know, right, that he is important. They are they are important to him. He has them in his heart. He won't forget about them right? He's not going to stop praying for them one day. He's not going to forget about them. They are there in him, with him always. He loves them always, will care for them always, no matter what. And let me tell you, a pastor has you in his heart, has his sheep in his heart. I will tell you, Honestly, you've heard me say this, and I'll say this again. There was a time in my life when I didn't know what it was to love people. And I can tell you, and I am ashamed, that I did not love people the way that I'm supposed to love people. I was selfish and self-centered, and I was very immature, I was uh, right? And so I didn't know what it was to love people. But I can tell you that in uh, the year 2012, God moved upon my heart and changed me. So that I can honestly say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love every single one of you. I care about every single one of you, even folks who come and leave. I still hurt for them. I can say to you uh, with all conviction, you're in my heart. It's hard to explain it when you don't uh, feel it or know it, but you're there. I think about you constantly. I actually worry about you constantly. Believe it or not, what you hurt, I hurt. What you run, I'm worried. What you're in pain, I'm worried. Right? I honestly can say that. What, I, I can say that, and I understand what Paul is saying here. know I don't, can't imagine all of the churches and all the people that he hurt for. I know the burden I have for you guys. I can't imagine the burden that he felt for all of the churches and all the people, uh, but he felt them equally. He had them equally on his heart. He prayed for them daily. A pastor, that's how a pastor feels, a true pastor. He isn't going to be perfect. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to hurt your feelings. He's not ever going to anticipate all of your uh, needs. But I can tell you this much, he loves you. A real pastor loves you and prays for you and cares about you and know that he hurts for you regardless. When, you, when you're in that position, you have to do something, which I never like to do. You have to open yourself up to be hurt, right? Because you're, when someone is that close to your heart, when they hurt you, man, it's like stabbing you. It hurts. But that's the kind of, you know, emotion and feeling. And and that was the fact of Paul's life that he cared. They were in his heart right here. Both in my chains and in my defense. The Philippian church didn't just forget about Paul. The Philippian church sent aid to Paul. They sent aid to him to encourage him to meet his needs. To take care of him while he was imprisoned, so they literally were suffering with him in that they were giving from their, you know, uh, paychecks from their right, giving something away that they to him to encourage him and strengthen him. Meaning they didn't just forget about Paul when he left; they were keeping up with him. They were paying attention. They were listening, and when they found out he was in chains they proactively were sending him encouragement and money and resources to take care of him in chains, to make his life as bearable as possible, to fellowship with him, to love on him, and, of course, pray for him. My goodness, church, how we need to pray for our leaders, how we need to pray for those who have taken on the great call of shepherding and leading others. Right, Whatever that leadership position is, we need to pray for those leaders because even though they may not be suffering and change and physically, they could be suffering and change mentally, emotionally. So many pastors, I, I, I wish I knew the statistic, they deal with anxiety and depression. Uh, I, I don't know if you've paid attention to the news, but they've been killing themselves with a fearful regularity because of the burden and they are lonely. You say, well, you're surrounded by people. You got a family. Let me explain something to you. A pastor is very lonely when it comes to church and shepherding his people. Why? Because no one hurts like he does for the people. I could try to explain it to you and I can't. It's very lonely. Another reason that we're lonely is not having anyone that you could confide in, talk to, and trust. To be real and really share what you're hurting and what you're struggling with to become that kind of vulnerable, it takes a special relationship with someone. It's hard, it's a lonely job. Pray for your pastors, not just me. Pray for those pastors that are in the spotlight. Pray for those leaders that are in the spotlight, right? Pray for them. Right? Pray for them because they're hurting and they need help. They need strength from God. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Though this is very interesting, that Greek word affection basically means your intestines, your bowels. What he's saying here is, he said his heart... Now he's saying all of my whole body, that affection, right? I love you or I long for you with the affection. My whole body aches for you, hurts for you, rejoices with you, desires to have fellowship with you. He's trying to express to them in a way that they can understand how much he loves them. It's not just a fleeting experience. It's not just a passing feeling. He loves them whether he's in chains or not in chains. Regardless of his circumstances, he is not distracted. He loves them with all of his heart, with all of who he is. Verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So he's talking about now about their love, their love for him, their love for others, may just continue to grow and grow. Their love for Christ, right, will continue to grow and to grow, abound and abound and more and more and more. And they are also to grow in knowledge and discernment. Paul knew that false teachers, false prophets were going to come in and try to rip the church apart and so he's telling them, uh, fellowship one another, love one another, grow in your relationship with Christ, abound more and more in this love. And make sure that you keep your eyes open and understand first the knowledge, the truth that I have given you. Don't uh, accept any other truth from any other person. Paul actually says in one place in, in one of his letters, and now it escapes me where, but he said, even... If we come back to you and preach a different gospel, you reject us. You keep the gospel that we have shared, which is what? Jesus Christ was the Son of God who came, who died upon the cross, who rose again for our sins. We make him Lord of our life. We're forgiven. We live forever. We're lost without him. That's the gospel, right? If anyone comes and preaches to you anything different, ignore them, reject them, get away. Anyone preaches a gospel that's different. So Paul is saying take the knowledge. That we have given you, and parted to you, and then apply uh, discernment according to that knowledge. So if anyone comes in and tries to deceive you or preach something different, reject them. False prophets are a big thing, especially nowadays. False teachers leading people astray, watering down the gospel, not even preaching the gospel in some places, right? Uh, motivational speaking is really all that it is. And so we have to have discernment to throw away, reject that which does not line up with Scripture. And that discernment comes from knowing the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Do you know when it's the easiest to be deceived? When you're not seeking God with all your heart. When you live in that line between the world and seeking Him, and someone comes whispering something in your ear that doesn't sound quite right, but it's got a little bit of right and a little bit of wrong, but it happens to make you feel good at that moment, so you could justify your sin and my sin. That's when we become deceived, right? There are there are preachers on TV who you can watch week after week and not feel one convicting. Uh, uh, conviction from the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to say, hey, maybe you should change your thinking to be challenged. Listen, we're to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't like being challenged, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> right? We need to be challenged by the word of God. I need to be challenged by the word of God right. because it's in being challenged that there's change. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And if there's no change, then there's a problem in each one of our lives. Yeah. If we are not changing daily, being conformed to the image of Christ, there's a problem. Yeah. We need to be challenged so that we can change. And if we're not being challenged, we need to step back and look at what the message is that's being preached. Because here's the deal. Pastors should not be every week telling you how you're a conqueror in Christ. How all people are victorious. That's a great message. I get it. I love to have those messages too. Shout, shout, praise the Lord, amen, amen. I will tell you personally that when I preach a message and everybody's quiet, it's disheartening. Because you're like, "Uh uh-oh, did I make somebody mad? You know? But you think about that. A challenging message, right? Because we have those times of excitement and we need to be encouraged. But there's the times that, that needs to be balanced with challenge for change. Yeah. There's that me- the gospel message is meant to be challenging. God's word is meant to be challenging. And if you're following after somebody who preaches a gospel that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's not challenging you, step back and, and, and take a glimpse. Yeah. Here's the one thing. God will never justify sin. So if you're listening or somebody who's helping you justify your sin, you better stop back and think about it. Because sin is sin. And God, thank the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, came and died for that sin so you and I could be forgiven. But well, before we can be forgiven, we must acknowledge it's sin. Use discernment. We must use discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, right? So if we're using discernment, we're approving that which is excellent. Behavior, the words spoken, right? The message given, but discernment, right? We are approving what is right and wrong within the church and our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also ourselves Mm -hmm. with discernment, right? So we're approving, the things that are excellent. The things that honor God. If it doesn't honor God, cast it out. Yeah, amen. If it doesn't honor God, stop focusing on it. We approve of the things that honor God. If anyone comes claiming to be from Christ and they are not honoring Christ and honoring God, get rid of them. Honor God. Prove of the excellent things that you may be sincere, not have ulterior motives, not be wishy-washy, not be double-minded, But sincere, committed, that's what sincere here means, that committed uh, to, to the truth and the knowledge of God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ with all sincerity, committed to it, so you are not deceived. Also, when you're sincere, right, and you don't have offense in your life because you're following after Christ and you're using discernment, you're not being led astray, it's a witness to this lost and dying world. It really is, Mm -hmm. because the world is in need of real Christians who love God, who are sincere and not living double lives. The United States, the West, really, we enable Christians to be double agents Mm -hmm. because of the prosperity and the lack of persecution and the freedom that we have. We have the ability to live one way in the world and another way at church. So we're double agents. We're not living sincere lives. We're not approving of what is excellent. We're living as double agents. We're living double lives. We're married to Christ and we're married to the world. You can't be married to both. Right? It don't work that way. And so we have to be sincere. We can't be double-minded. We can't be Uh, double agents as it relates to our relationship with God and, and with the world, we have to be sincere and the world will know if you're sincere or not. They will know if you love God or not. They will know if I love God or not, if I'm sincere or not. They will know. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. If you and I are abounding and the knowledge of God, using discernment, if you and I are approving the things which are excellent, that we're sincere, if we're leaving, living without offense, then we will demonstrate the fruits. We will be filled with the fruits of righteousness. It will be evident. We'll be filled with the fruits. Now, when I think about fruits, what am I thinking of? Immediately, I think of the fruit of the Spirit, Right. And I'm not going to try to name them all because I'm probably going to forget them. But what is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Right? The fruits of the Spirit manifest in our lives. The fruit of righteousness. Living a holy life. Did you know there are fruit in living a holy life? Holy life. Would people look at the holy life? Oh, man, I know I'm going a long time. When, you, when you, people look at a holy life from the outside, they think it's restrictive and it's painful and people are telling me what to do and no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm giving up my freedom. That is not true. A holy life is actually brings forth fruit like joy and peace. Why? Because we're reconciled with God and in a relationship with him. I don't have to worry every day about, uh, about if I'm in my right relationship, my, where my joy or my peace is going to come from. I don't have to worry about if I lose my job. I don't have to worry about if I'm sick in body, right? Because I've got a relationship with God. I love God. I've got, I'm in a right standing with him. Everything else, I'll let him handle. Living, having that relationship with God brings peace and joy and freedom. Real, true freedom. Our world does not know what freedom is. Right, right. Freedom isn't the absence of rules and law. That's right. Freedom is peace despite your circumstances. Yes. Yeah. And joy despite your circumstances. Freedom is submitting oneself to an authority that has your best interests at heart. That loves you. That is, uh, that, that, that is a, a God who uh, has your needs. That's real freedom. The world can never know true freedom because the truth is no matter who the leadership is, whether it's a democracy, a republic, a dictatorship, a monarchship, whatever, monarchy, whatever it is, they're run by humans and humans are fallible, evil, selfish, and self-centered and they will never care about you and your needs only. So the only place to get true freedom is from God who's perfect, holy, never changes. He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. He loves you. He has your best interest at heart. He has my best interest at heart. That's where freedom is. Freedom is not have to worry about tomorrow cuz God's got it in the palm of his hand. Yeah. Freedom is not having to worry about uh, what is going to happen in this world and, uh, and what, the, the, the pain and the suffering and the bad decisions that leaders are making because our God is the King of kings yes. and the Lord of lords. Yes. That's freedom. Yes. That's real freedom. Yes. I'm not in some dictatorship. I've got freedom because the one I submit myself to loves me with all of his heart and he will never do anything to me that is contrary to his love. And he will never love me any more or any less than he does right now. Amen. That'll never change. That's freedom. Real freedom. Peace and joy and comfort no matter what. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Submitting myself to the one that loves me no matter what. Yeah. The one who knew me before I was born in my mother's womb and he knew all the mistakes and all the stupid things I was going to do and all my failures, he loved me and called me anyways. That's the God I want to serve. That's where real freedom is. Oh, I don't have to worry about him blackmailing me. I can be honest with him. I don't have to worry about what he might think about me tomorrow because he's going to love me and stand beside me. as the friend that's sticking closer and the brother no matter what. That's freedom. Goodness gracious. Man, that got me a little bit excited today. (laughs) That's freedom. It's not the absence of leadership or the absence of rules. It's not being able to do everything that you want when you want to do it. It's having a God that loves you, who has rules, who wants the best for us, who put it all in motion, and he knows uh, what's best for us and has our best interests at heart. You just can't get any better than that. That's freedom. Let us stand. bless you.